When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, everybody, it's me, Ed the Sock. Who's Ed the Sock? If you don't know, well, I don't know where you've been living, but you must be under 25, in which case I don't care about you. And you are listening to my friend Tobin Tonight. Ed, welcome to the show. It's been a Long time coming, I feel, because I've been watching you on Much Music for a while. I don't think a 10-year-old should be watching Ed the Soccer on Much Music. Oh, but you'd be surprised how many did. (laughs) Oh, yes. You'd be surprised how many. uh, Part of my legacy is the number of people who come up to me and say, you know, my parents told me not to watch you, but I did anyway. I was the forbidden fruit. Yes, that, that is for sure. I would be like, you know, if it was a sick day and you're staying home and you're at your grandmother's house, I'm like, okay, there's Rick. There's, you know, there's another VJ. Okay, and we're doing music videos. That's all cool. And the next minute, it's like, there's a sock puppet. He'll, he'll like the sock puppet. And she leaves the room. And I'm like, um, uh, Nan, no, that's that's not the right sock puppet. <laughs> well, it, it, what, what, mean, what, was the, what is the right sock puppet exactly? <laughs> uh, I don't know. Like one that wasn't uh, like cursing or swearing or like telling me off. It was like, well, I couldn't. I, mean, I, never, I never swore. Because uh, my stuff on music, I mean, I swore on my late night show. Yes, but that exactly. one's uh, Friday nights at 11.30, Sundays at 11.30. There's no way you were up. And if you were, someone should I, be called Children's Aid. I, I, listen, there's a lot of times that my, my brother was babysitting. Maybe not the best babysitter. Let's just or, or maybe the best babysitter. Tell me how you got into broadcasting. Um, I uh, started out uh, on a uh, small uh, cable 10 station. They don't really have cable 10 stations anymore. Those were channels that cable companies had to, by law, provide for the community so you could come in and do a TV show. Um, now, it wasn't as easy as that. You had to pass some criteria. Um, but uh, it was a great place for people to learn. Because, you know, it's not the same on YouTube, for example, because there's nobody there to give you any potential guidance or, or help. Um, and also nobody there to indicate whether anything you're saying is of any interest to anyone other than you. Uh, whereas uh, Cable 10, there had to be some kind of interest to somebody other than you. Anyway, I started on the smallest Cable 10 station in Toronto. Uh, the show just built. Uh, in those days, being viral meant that uh, people passed around VHS tapes of your show to each other which is what happened. And eventually I was uh, on uh, all, like all the major, in all the major cities of uh, Canada uh, at 11.30 on Friday nights. Um, and then from there, uh, CBC and City TV came to me and said, we want you to, to bring your show to us. I knew, <laughs> knew that on, City, on CBC, I'd last about three weeks, if that. So I uh, went to City TV and they said, uh, we want you on much music at the same time. And I was like, all right, fine. Didn't really want to do much music at the time, but it was all right, let's give it a shot. And, uh, you know, then 14 years passed and it was uh, on CTV and much music all that time. Why were you a little bit hesitant for much music? Because I never watched it. 
Because <laughs> I didn't care about music videos. I didn't care about popular music. You know, it seemed to me to be a bit goofy. You know, it seemed like all the VJs were kind of like either zany or really kind of dull. Um, and again, I didn't really watch it, so my view wasn't exactly well informed. But my my main goal was my late night show. That was my big deal. Much music was, well, I hadn't really thought about throwing the videos, but eh, what the hell, we'll give it a shot. And I happened to start just as there was a changing of the guard. The uh, guy who founded the channel, basically, John Martin, may he rest in peace. He uh, was replaced by Denise Donlin, who had been on uh, the new music, the TV show, and earned uh, for somehow earned the right to, to run the channel. And she wanted to change the channel <laughs> to make it a little less goofy, a little more relevant. Um, and at the time, I thought she was insane. But slow, and I think, and she used to say that uh, she used to almost get lead poisoning because with me, because every time I was on the air, she would chew through pencils, worried about what I was going to say. But uh, we came to uh, respect and like each other. And I saw that her direction for the channel was, in fact, the smartest one, and one where I fit in the best. So do you feel like having that kind of philosophy or like not really knowing much about the channel or watching it like kind of gave you a different avenue or uh, I guess mindset? Because like there could be people out there that watch much music and said, yeah, I'll skip the Backstreet Boy video, skip Britney, just show me the sock. I, I have no idea if that was what they were thinking. Um, but uh, yeah, I, gave, I mean, I went in there less slavish. I went in there, you know, less awed by uh, music and musicians. And you saw in my interviews with, you know, big, you know, big A-list musicians, I, I wasn't bowled over. I wasn't impressed. I talked to them like I would talk to anybody else. And it turned out they wanted that. They were okay. sick of people fawning over them and, they, and asking them the same questions over and over. So they uh, were happy to talk to me, who gave them at least a, a breath of fresh air, gave them a chance to laugh. Because I'll tell you something, when somebody laughs, all of a sudden you relate to them as a human being. When they're giving you answers to the same questions over and over that, that you've heard them answer elsewhere, they just feel like robotic. But when somebody yeah. laughs, all of a sudden their humanity comes out. When I interviewed Lenny Kravitz, he had been a real pill to the much people that day. They didn't get him the, the kind of chocolate chip cookies he, he wanted. So he was in a bad mood. And for some reason still agreed to interview me or be interviewed by me. So I went in and everybody was cool and he was really like Mr. De you know, detached, but we did the interview anyway. And uh, you see him being like, Mr. you know, Mr. Cool with that facade. And then I asked him a question, a question you couldn't ask today, unfortunately. But I said, Lenny, you're uh, something of a ladies man. So do you think a woman should be savored like a fine wine or guzzled like a Colt 45, which is a bad malt liquor? And he looked at me and looked at me and looked away and looked back at me and looked away. And then he just broke out laughing. His, the entire uh, facade that he had put forward of Mr. Cool, uh, it completely cracked. And he just started laughing. And then I hear noise in the corner. I look over, there was a tray of uh, glasses of water and Denzel Washington was sitting there. And Denzel started laughing. He leaned on the tray of glasses and they all fell on the ground, uh, breaking. So I started yelling at Denzel Washington for making such a noise and making such a mess. And just everyone, the whole room broke out laughing. Before that, everyone was just trying to put on these airs. And after that, everybody was just relaxed and just another person. 
did you just come off that top of your head or were you kind of like, if I get them, this is my planned question. Are you worried about like how that might be perceived? I know it's a different time frame. There's no social media to be like, all right, screw him, cancel him. But does that even go through your mind at all? Like next minute, it's like, all right, Lenny's mad. You're gone. No, I didn't really care. <laughs> I, well, okay. Also at this point, m- most people knew who I was. Uh, they'd heard of me. Otherwise, the record companies would never have, have even forwarded the request. Yeah. But they, uh, you know, they they understood who, you know, that I only, I, I went far, but only so far. Like, people think that I would just ask anything. No, because that's just being a dick. That's and true. not only that, but you, you, you ask, you know, you do one gotcha, one ambush. You never get another interview with that person or anybody else ever again. Yeah. My goal wasn't to embarrass anybody. It was to bring them down to our level through through laughter to, to show people that they're just ordinary people and to talk to them, the celebrities, like they were ordinary people to just let them know not everybody kisses their ass. Um, and so I wasn't I wasn't concerned. I did. I always went into the like this was during the Much Music Video Awards to set your mind as to what what happens to the Much Music Video Awards. You get the confirmation of which artists are going to do interviews. Okay. And there's a timetable set as to when you're going to go up to their, their green room. And that goes out the window the minute the show starts. So I had a team with me, a camera person and, 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 and a, uh, a tape runner. We'd, ru- we'd go up and down the stairs because the elevators were too slow. And we'd go to, we'd get a, a call on the walkie talkie. This is before cell phones in the beginning. And say, so-and-so is ready for you on floor four. So we'd, we'd run up the stairs, go to floor four, come in, do the interview. Then the runner would take the tape downstairs to an edit suite where uh, uh, my uh, producer, Leanna Kersner, would sit with an editor and have to edit a five minute uh, interview into about 90 seconds in the space of about seven minutes. So there was no time for her to even watch the whole interview. She just knew me so well. She would watch the first time, say, okay, cut there and cut there. And then they would run the tape to the uh, live truck who would run it, you know, put it in the machine and then run it during the, the time that it was allotted. So we're running up and down the stairs all the time. And the people who said that, you know, if they say we'll talk to you at 7.30, they weren't ready at 7.30. We have to go to them at like 8.15. So, but somebody who said that they were ready at 8.15 would say at 7.30, let's do it now. So yeah. it was a constant up and down the stairs. It was madness. But I mean, it was, uh, it got some great content, great memories, that's for sure. You must have been in like fantastic shape. Like, I mean, I know you got the cigar there, but like, God, like, you know, that could have like, I'm, I'm imagining puffing up and down the stairs. Yeah, it wasn't easy. It wasn't, it wasn't easy not to like have emphysema running into the rooms because you didn't want to walk in all sweaty. Yeah, right? yeah. Like, they're all sitting there all cool. And then you come in all sweaty. It's, yeah. uh, but we managed, I mean, there was only uh, five stories to run. Um, nobody was on the first floor. So it was all second through fifth floor. Very rarely was anybody actually on the fifth floor. So it was second, third, fourth floor. So it wasn't that bad. I mean, the tape runner had it worse. They had to run downstairs all the way to the basement. Can you remember your most memorable one and your most embarrassing one? Where like, it might not be something humiliating, but you're kind of like, okay, if I had the time back, like might have would have did that differently. Um, No, to the second one. I never regretted anything that I did. That's good. Um, That's good. I didn't go into like I didn't go into it to be a jackass. I went into it just to have fun, and like they either went along with it or they didn't. Most memorable is hard singing with Beyonce, singing with Willie Nelson. 
They were very, you know, that's memorable. Making uh, Chris Martin from Coldplay run around the second floor balcony while I hummed the Benny Hill theme. For those who remember Benny Hill, that was fun. Riding in a uh, limousine for the afternoon with uh, Gene Simmons, that was memorable. Uh, Christina Aguilera was always fun. I hosted her, uh, her, her first and only Canadian national press conference. And when uh, reporters asked questions I thought were stupid, I told them to shut up and sit down. That was a good, and she was trying not to laugh, which was great. Who else did, I mean, Avril Lavigne was always fun. I interviewed Avril, Avril and Christina both are examples of people who nobody else wanted to interview them because they weren't famous yet. Christina walked across the street from the record company uh, office that was across from Much with just one person. There was like no, nobody not recognized her. At that point, she'd just been on the Mickey Mouse Club as a kid and had a song on the Mulan soundtrack. Nobody had ever heard of her. And uh, same with uh, Avril, her ab album hadn't even dropped yet. And, you know, there were some people who only wanted to talk to the biggest names. I was the other way around. I was like, just I'll talk. I, I want some of these these people who are new and who may never actually break big. Yeah. I want to give them the same VJ interview experience as anybody gets. They deserve the same chance. So I would interview people who didn't uh, who, who, who didn't rate as far as some people are concerned. And then they blew up and then they never forgot who it was that interviewed them first. So, like, I, I want to ask, because I think that's kind of an interesting mindset that you have, because I kind of do the same thing here. Um, like I like, obviously you grow up and watch, like say your Adam Sandler's your Jim Carrey's and you want them on the show as well. But sometimes I'll look at like Canadian acts or USA acts, and especially now in the world of Spotify, Facebook, Twitter, like you can see sponsored ads and you might like that song and be like, okay, I like it. There's probably an audience out there that likes this band, but they just don't have that whole exposure yet. But I'm like, well, that works for me because I'll give them a little bit of exposure. I'll give them like their first conversation or interview or whatever. And if they go big, great. If not, I can look back and be like, you know what? I, I had fun with the conversation. They seem to have fun. It seems like a win-win. Is that kind of like the mindset you went into it with? Yeah, kind of. Again, yeah. I just felt that that there wasn't enough attention given to those who needed the attention to help their careers. There was a lot of attention given to people who were already well on their way. Because I used to always argue we should spend, we should do at least one show where we focus on artists who aren't signed to a record label yet. And they, Much Music refused. They said they would only talk to artists who were signed by a major record label. And I said, well, what's the point? They're already on their way. We have yeah. the opportunity to help people who need, who, you know, who need the opportunity. And they said, well, this one individual, this stupid moron pr producer who was in charge of this, said, uh, well, how do we say yes to, to some and no to others? And I said, by saying yes to some and no to others. It's called leadership and management. You do it sometimes. <laughs> but, but rather than having to say yes to some and no to others, they said no to everyone. And that's why when I started New Music Nation, which is about to become newmusicnow.ca, the whole idea was create a much music-like vibe but focus only on undiscovered artists, people with small record labels, people with no record label, people who are really, really talented, making really good videos and great music, but can't seem to get any attention outside of their immediate peer group. Hello, I'm Wendy Mesley. There you are. A lot of people have wondered what happened to you. I could say the same about you, Maureen Holloway. 
Well, here we are a few years after we left our previous jobs. We've been busy. We have a podcast. I know you're thinking who doesn't, but ours is really good. It's called Women of Ill Repute. We don't just talk to women, though. Just the most interesting people you'd ever want to meet. Artists, musicians, comedians, doctors, activists, convicts, writers, sex workers. Drop some names. Jan Arden, Pamela Anderson, Bruce Coburn, Samantha Irby, Louise Penny, Marilyn Dennis, Colin Mockery. We laugh, we cry, sometimes we argue. Come and find us. Our website is womenofillrepute.com. Or try Apple, Spotify, and all the podcast places. So now you know what happened to us, Women of Ill Repute. Do you find now with the world of social media, because there's good and bad with social media, but do you find that kind of helps the landscape of what you're trying to do now? Because like you can kind of stumble across artists, or are you out there with agents going looking and being like, okay, I know this person is Toronto. They're, they're somewhat well off, but we can help them a little bit on this platform. Uh, I'm kind of all over the place <laughs> with that. Like I, I'm really looking for people who are talented, who put their heart into it, they just need a, they, you just give them a boost. There's no saying that, that being on newmusicnow.ca is going to give them any kind of fame and fortune, yeah. but it may expose them to people that, they, that otherwise wouldn't have discovered them. And I just want to give them some sense of validation that, you know what, uh, you are good. Uh, the fact that you don't have a million followers is not because you're not good, because most of the people that have a lot of followers, quite frankly, are shit. You know, you, you don't produce generic crap for the public, your your art, actual artists. I just want to let them know, hey, you know what? There's people out here who give a damn. You're right. Just because you don't have a huge following doesn't mean you're not good at what you do. Well, the problem with something like YouTube, for example, is the view counter. Because everybody wants to be following the same thing. They want to be with the hip crowd. And yeah. so you look at a view counter and you see, oh, these people don't have a lot of views. Must not be a very interesting or entertaining video. And that's just bullshit. All it means is this person doesn't have a giant network already in place. And so people look at the numbers and don't look at the video. And so they miss good quality content because they're snots. Like, well, if other people haven't watched it, I don't want to be the one to watch it. And they miss a lot of good stuff because of that. You know, the numbers aren't everything. And all it means is somebody hasn't, uh, hasn't cultivated a giant community, hasn't been very, very lucky. Like lots of people on YouTube who do well, are, I think they're just very, very lucky. You look at yeah. some of the people that do well, they do the same thing that thousands, literally thousands of others do. Somehow they were the one that got lucky doing the same thing everybody else is doing. That's just pure luck. It's not, there, there's no magic, there, you know, there, there's no, they're not better than anybody else. You know, the person who's, who's getting a lot of people watching them do makeup tips, they're not yeah. doing anything with makeup that other yeah. people aren't doing. They're just yeah. freaking lucky. People who, who are, you know, cooking, they're, they're not great freaking chefs. They're not, some, they're not some kind of sorcerers in the kitchen. They're just people who happen to be lucky and other people who do the exact same thing may in fact be better. But again, it's a question of people follow the numbers. I like Vimeo because you watch stuff there. You have no idea how many people watched it. If it seems to catch your interest, you'll watch it. You're not dissuaded by uh, the lies of numbers. I like, I like that approach because I'm pretty sure like I, I'm guilty of that where I will go on like YouTube and look up, say, Mario Kart. And then if I see someone like uh, Smitty Plus, now sometimes I like it because it's Canadian. 
But if I'm looking at him play it and compared to someone else who might have maybe just a few less followers, then I'm just like, all right, I'm going with the one with the most followers because there has to be a reason he has the most followers. And then sometimes I'll look at it and I'll be like, I don't understand how you have this many followers. It's not that great. And I'll go to someone like that's just starting off and be like, you're, you're kind of interesting. I might stick around and see if you grow. The other thing about uh, people who are just starting out, they're willing to experiment and do things differently. When you get to a point of a certain success, you don't want to mess with it. And so they get calcified into doing the same shit over and over and over again because they don't want to lose their audience. It's like, you know, when a uh, when a a musician releases their first album, which has been gestating in them for years, then all of a sudden they got to quickly come up with a second album. That album, if that album is not exactly the same kind of music as the first album, people say people get pissed off. So. You know, I remember Christina would, uh, you know, she did her, she did different things in different albums. And people were like mad because they wanted to buy the same thing that she'd already done. You know, she moved, she started doing blues because she loves, she loves singing blues and stuff. And that got her a much smaller audience because people, it's like algorithms. People who were listening to say Spotify uh, or even watching YouTube, what's suggested to you is something that is very much alike what you've already watched or listened to not something different not something like hey try this it's something that is very similar to what you've already said you like so how do you discover if you like other things how do you come to learn if there's other things out there that outside of your current sphere of 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 experience that that that, that might interest you that that might excite you you don't find it you know that's why on uh, newmusicnow.ca it's all humans it's, it's all people choosing the videos. There's no algorithms. And like much music, we don't just bunch them together. Like here, you know, much music didn't do, here's our hip hop pack and here's yeah. our pop pack. They were always mixed. There was a, there was a mix, uh, you know, all of them were mixed in together. So you'll fu- you'd be able to discover music you otherwise wouldn't have looked for. And uh, I think that we used to hear that a lot at much that that's what they enjoyed was that they would come across music they never otherwise would have found. And uh, I believe in that, that kind of thing. I think the world is not better because you get to curate only what you want to hear in music and in opinions. It's better when, it was better when we had a world where you, had, you learned that other people had uh, opinions and tastes that were different than yours. And if you wanted yours to be accommodated, you had to accommodate theirs too. Now yeah. people get offended if you uh, make them listen to something that they didn't want to listen to in the first place. If you give them an opinion they didn't want, they get offended. If you make them listen to music they don't want, they get pissed off. It's like, you know how many times I have to listen to a song sometimes before I actually really like it? It is rare that I will hear a song the first time and say, I like that. I have yeah. to hear a song a couple of times before I really, and in the case of things like uh, bands from the 90s, I've had to listen to them for decades before I decided that I liked them. You know, people need to open up their mind to to things that aren't just what they've already decided that they want to hear. The the world would be a better place when you learn that if you want to be accommodated, you need to accommodate other people too. When you went off that point there of saying like people would come up to you and like how much music would just kind of mix different genres together rather than give you like a hip hop hour or pop hour. I remember kind of discovering Our Lady Peace and a whole bunch of like punk bands, I guess, like, you know, Simple Plan, all through kind of much music. And I think if I had the power, and I'm still young, but if I had the power to change the remote or turn off the TV and be like, now for me, 
I don't think I'd be listening to these bands. Like I made a joke to my friend maybe a few years ago that I was like, would have not been into Third Eye Blind, would have not been into Our Lady Peace, maybe Blink-182 a bit, but not Plus 44, but only for there's a station that shows all this kind of music and not in a circular motion, just randomly. I was like, all right, I'll watch it. There's never going to be an experience like much music was. Because yeah. in those days, we had common experiences because we had narrower choices. You know, if you wanted to watch music videos, whenever you wanted to watch them, like flip on the TV, other stations would have like half hour shows. But if you wanted to watch music videos and wanted to be to see the place that got, you know, uh, the music videos first or whatever, it was only much music. There was only one place you could go. So you would sit there and, yeah, watch a video that uh, was new or maybe hadn't caught your attention yet because you knew something would be coming up next that probably would. So you'd sit through it and then discover, hey, you know what? Not so bad. But now people have the power, as I said, to just cut away anything that they either don't like or think they might not like or, in fact, not even know they're cutting away things they might like because how do you know? People don't know. It's always, you know, when they say uh, we have to give the people what they want. Let's ask. Let's ask the public what they want to yeah. see. The public doesn't freaking know. Yeah. Okay. The truth is, the public knows what it likes only when it sees it. When you ask the public what they like, you're trailing behind everybody else because all they're going to tell you is they're only going to reference things they've already seen. So how do you give them? So how do things like Better Call Saul, Breaking Bad, uh, Game of Thrones, things which were very different? than what was on TV at the time. How does that happen if you decide that you're going to go through focus groups where yeah. people have, they don't have the new stuff to compare the old stuff to, so they stick to the old stuff, so you keep giving them retreads of the same old shit. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at Four Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Like, I used to enjoy the VJs. I enjoy the music. Now there's segments there, like, you know... Uh, much on demand or when people would come in to Toronto and you'd see them and like, you're looking outside the back. Now we've had this conversation with Strombo and Campanelli and it's just like craziness. It's crazy pandemonium, especially when you had like uh, your much music video awards, all that. So it's like really peak, but then slowly over time. And I don't know if they agree with me on this and maybe you don't either, but it's just when you started to put in like TV shows, like I'll be a sucker and say, I watched S Club 7 on much. It was okay. Doesn't mean that was for me. Uh, but I did watch it. But then Ain't over no time, party like an S Club party. But over time, it was just like, then they had like the, a VJ search, which is like a reality TV show. Now it's like ridiculousness gets replayed a lot of times. And Seinfeld, like, I know it's over time, but I think the real implement to me was like, okay, we're doing a VJ search. I remember being in like maybe high school and someone in my class wanted to 
partake in this. I was like, oh, that's, that's a good way to kind of get your foot in the door into journalism, I guess. But I was like, it sounds like just another shitty reality TV show. You know, funny thing. I actually was the first person to, su- to, to suggest doing the VJ search as a reality show. Sorry, no, sorry. <laughs> no, no, they made it shit. They made it shit. I wasn't involved in it. I had quit, I think, by then. And they made it shit because the people who were left only knew how to make shit. There's a reason I quit much music. And yeah, you're right. Over time, what happened was they management changed, Denise left, and they started playing more and more shows. And they would create shitty shows. Like there was a show called, uh, it's supposed to be called In Your Space, which yeah. plays on the, the phrase in your face, right? But they decided you had to put the word much in everything. So they called it much in your space. Loses the connection to in your face. Like yeah. it's not clever anymore. And it was shit. It was just copying uh, MTV shows. And that's because a new person took over and she told me our viewers are stupid and just want shit. So we're only going to give them shit. And I was like, that's not true. Our viewers are not stupid. I deal with viewers on uh, email and in person when I come to the building all the time. They are they're smarter than the average bear. They, they were clever people. And the problem was that the people in management were themselves stupid. And you know, stupid people think they're smart. So they think that other people must be less smart than them. So they, I was also told that our, the viewers didn't remember anything that happened more than three months ago. So don't reference anything that happened more than three months ago because they're stupid. And at that time, I had just debuted a new series called Smart Ass, The Ed, The Sock Report. In the most recent episode, the second one, was called What's Wrong With Hip Hop? And because that's when everyone's criticizing hip hop for, for its treatment of women and, and all this other yeah. shit. And in that video, in that show, we traced uh, hip hop back to griots in Africa hundreds of years ago and traced, you know, rap music and music talking about, you know, their conditions and stuff all the way back from there to through the 70s, 60s, 70s to today. And the show debuted with the highest numbers they'd had in six months. And then the rerun, also higher numbers than other things they'd had in six months. The show was a hit. And so when they told me that people aren't interested in anything that happened more than three months ago, I said, but Smartass went back to like the 18th century or something. And the numbers were huge. And they just said, yeah, nobody's interested in that. See, like, um, what? I said, no, did you hear me? It had higher numbers than anything else. Pause. Yeah, nobody's interested in that. So what up? Like, I'm talking, I'm talking to trees. I'm talking to people aren't even listening. It's like, I'm telling you what you're saying is not right. We have empirical proof that what you're saying is not true. And all you keep repeating is the same old stupid thing that has been proven not to be true. Do you wonder why I quit that stupid place? See, you go right into the philosophy of, of the history. I was going to say, like, I remember when you're saying no one can remember stuff from like three or three months ago or six months ago. I was like, listen, I was young, but I still remember like when you used to do spring breaks. Now, again, people have different takes on their spring breaks and like if whatever it was, but I think it's Leah or Leah Miller getting yeah, like, Leah you know, Miller, like, yeah. like, yeah, I remember going at like, I was like maybe 16, 17 watching that and losing her top in the water. And like, I'm just still like, I it's like, I know I'm supposed to be here for music videos, but like, I remember that it's like, it's, this is longer than three or six months ago. And I'm still remembering that. Well, um, okay. Cause you were a horny kid. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> and everyone wanted to see your boobs. Yeah. yeah um, thanks Ed. Thanks Ed. And, <laughs> and boy, uh, gee, that wasn't prearranged. No, yeah. that was an accident. It, yeah. it, it didn't just, you know, it, yeah, it wasn't something they did on purpose for numbers. 
Yeah. See, we never did anything like that. We never prearranged stuff. Stuff just happened that was funny. By the time Leo was there, the chat was being controlled by morons. Uh, yeah. You know, monkeys throwing their turds could have done a better job than these idiots. And the what they said, remember how the one of the things that much was, you'd look at the crowds and you'd see people who looked like people that looked like you, you know, yes. or your friends. Well, what happened, and this is as I was quitting and after I quit, is this idiot, this insect was given control of much and determined that they only should show the beautiful people. So they would go through outside through the crowds. They would pull in the people who looked the prettiest and put them in the front. And if any of the less pretty people were there, they were way in the back. So the cameras only showed the pretty people. And that was the end of much music because that was someone who didn't understand that much music was about feeling like you belonged there, like it was everybody's national clubhouse and hangout. You did not have to be the pretty person. Somebody I know said that the thing about much music was it was the uh, prom queen and football captain that were VJs. It was the guys and women who pushed into lockers by the uh, prom queen and uh, football captain. People you would th th that thought you know that you thought you could hang out with. In the time I was there, no VJ ever had an ego. Nobody had an ego. Nobody thought that they were. I mean, we were the most recognized people in the country, quite frankly. And none of us, none of us, got, were full of ourselves. I mean, Canadian entertainment today—it's sad. Like Canadian television, very, very sad. It used to be. First of all, used to be you had licenses for your channels, right? So much music had a music license. Sports Network had a sports license. And then the CRTC a few years ago said, well, you guys are having trouble making money, so you can run anything you want. That's and dangerous. And so every channel had CSI reruns. Everyone's in everyone else's playground. And then the CRTC said that the money that you have to spend as a network, you can spend it all in prime time, as opposed to spreading it out during the day. The best shows, the shows we remember that felt personal to us, that felt like they were made by real people, those were shows that were lower budgeted. Now, lower budgeted also meant, in most cases, uh, they weren't as easy to syndicate, to sell around the world and make your money back on. So CRTC said, go ahead, big networks, put all your money into primetime. So they put all their money into primetime dramas, cops, lawyers, medical shit, uh, that shows that they can think they can sell around the world. Now, I understand there's an economic reason for it, but it also means that all of those other smaller shows that uh, we, we grew up with and that we felt connected to, they don't, they're not made anymore. And I don't know anybody who's still in the Canadian TV business who likes it. Yeah. They endure it, but it's mostly a horrible, horrible place to be. You turn on any TV station now that's like kind of like Canada related or like, you know, up here. And it is just a lot of like, I will make the joke that, you know, if I turn on CBC, there once was a time that it was like, I felt like Newfoundlanders were running the CBC because they used to have a promo video. There was Republican Doyle, there's Son of a Critch, there's all this stuff. But I'm just like, at the same time, I'm like, but there are a lot of the same shows. And like, now it's trying to like, I get you on a minority audience to like kind of feel included. But I mean, like, there's a way that you can make them feel included without explicitly being like, here's your show. This one's for you. This is your show. It's like, no, just... Make a well, show I mean, they, they yeah. did that. They did a good job with Kim's Convenience, because I think anybody who came to this country or whose grandparents came to this country, whatever, could relate. Didn't matter. You yeah. don't have to be from Korea to understand that immigrant experience. It was very broad. And then the people who produced it, not CBC, but the people who produced it, they shit the bed. 
Uh, and that was the end of that show. It's less now than it used to be. When I was growing up, CBC wasn't shows reflecting how Canadians lived. It was telling us how we were supposed to. Yeah. You know, it was telling us the, what we were supposed to think. It's not so much that now. I think CBC has a tough mandate because their mandate is not what CTV or Chorus is. They're supposed to create programming that reflects Canada. And that is a tougher mandate. And so sometimes, yeah, it seems the stuff is parochial, little mosque on the prairie and crap like that. It seems forced, but they've, they've gotten better in many ways. What you see on CBC and anywhere else is typically reflective of who the person is that gave the green light for, yeah. for the show. Because these shows tend to reflect the people who are in development, giving the okay, not necessarily the audience. Yeah, like, I mean, you can still have a way to represent like the mass audience of Canada or minorities without it actually coming across very distinctively, I guess, like stereotypical. Like, I mean, if they wanted to do a Newfoundland show, Republic of Doyle was kind of based in Newfoundland, but it didn't make it sound like, okay, well, we're all fishermen. We're all doing this. And like Hudson and Rex, I know that's on CTV and city TV, I believe, but like, yeah, it does, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, but it doesn't make it come across as like distinctively Newfoundland. It is here. It's filmed here, but like, you're kind of like, I, I, only for I live here, I probably wouldn't know the difference where it was filmed. Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's difficult to get stuff greenlit in this country. I know people who have had a lot of success who uh, can't get things greenlit because Canada. See, in the states, you notice how you'll see na the same names for thirty years. Yes. Um, uh, on yes. TV and behind the scenes, that's because in the states they're like, hey, you know, this actor or this character has been very popular on this show. That show's ended now, but people still have a relationship with that character or actor. Let's take advantage of that equity and put give them another show because people have a relationship with them. Friends, In Canada, Joey, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, uh, Cheers, then Frasier. Yeah. You know, there's uh, there, there's a lot, and, and you get actors uh, getting other spinoffs. You know, they're not playing the same character, but they've been popular in other things. Um, because people have a relationship with them. Now, especially when there's so much choice, in order to cut through the, the, the crap and the noise, you got to have some, something that somebody's interested in. Somebody It's like Facebook. You ever go back, you ever think of somebody you went to school with and you're like, go check them out on Facebook to see what the hell they're up to these days. And if they sound interesting or whatever, you'll say hello. That's like television. Yeah. It's like you see, oh, this actor or this character is on a new TV show. Hmm. Let's see what they're up to these days. Yeah. And uh, you go and you check it out. And if it's good, you'll stay. Um, but in Canada, it's very much, well, you've had your chance now. Let's give somebody else their chance. Yeah. And that's why it's not a business here. It's uh, in, in the States, making television is a business. In Canada, it's the cost of doing business. You must make these shows in order for you to be able to buy the American shows that get you the biggest ratings. So... This isn't something that Canadian companies want to do. It's something they have to do. It's like, hey, mom, can I go to the movies with Billy? Yeah, sure, but you have to take your younger brother. Yeah. It's, you know, it's like that there's this disincentive attached. So the, the, the heart isn't there. The, 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 the economic creative link isn't there. It's just, well, we got to spend this money on some shit, so let's make some shit. You, you kind of made me feel sad when you said about the Facebook thing where it's like, you know, if you go back and if someone wants to check in on you because you're interesting, 
uh, I'm looking at my Facebook. Like, ugh, it looks like it's. I'm actually seeing spider webs. I don't think anyone's checking in on me. No. That's because uh, it's an old example. People don't really <laughs> check out Facebook anymore. Yeah. Well, my Instagram's doing no better. I'm looking at it and I'm like, I've sent a couple messages. Oh no, no one cares. That's okay though. I care. That's the important part. I care. Uh, about I, I care about your sadness. Oh, th- thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Let's be depressed together. Ed, to kind of close it off, if you have time to do kind of a few random questions. Uh, all right. What are your questions? We'll throw out three. I've got it already generated here. So the first random question is, do you remember the first time that you were ever really nervous or shaken by an experience? I think actually like shaken would be uh, Woodstock 99 because that it went it went to hell in a handbasket while I was live on the air with Suk Yin. We well, I looked I looked around. I said, Suk Yin, this is going to turn into Lord of the Flies. I, I predicted it. I could just feel it in the air. And when it all went to shit and people were tearing things apart, someone people flipped a car over, set it on fire. The police had to come and push uh, the, the people back uh, several hundred feet. And there was a line of cops and then the, the attendees who had had enough because they'd been ripped off and overheated all weekend. They were lighting fires in garbage cans and hitting the garbage cans like some kind of tribal crap. Uh, I came across a woman who a young woman who had been uh, sexually assaulted. And I, I got her into the, uh, there was a private area that was security covered for all the media people. And we had our own medical area. And I had to fight with a security guard to get her into the medical area to get treatment because she didn't have a wristband. It was uh, seeing all that, that, that was shaken. Talking to celebrity, what the hell would I be shaken for? What do I give yeah, a yeah. damn? I mean, my worst yeah. interviews ever was that jackass Vanilla Ice. And Anthony Kiedis from Red Hot Chili Peppers, two of the worst interviews I ever had, two of the biggest jackasses. <laughs> I, I, I was going to say, because the, the next random one here was going to be like, who is a celebrity that you would have liked to interview? That's a good I, one. Yeah, I, um, I, know, I know on my list, because I'm a big late night guy, I always liked Conan. So Conan's like my go-to. But fuck like, Conan. Yeah, Craig and, his stupid, <laughs> and his stupid dog puppet ripoff. I knew that was coming, but I was going to say, because, man, I just like Conan. Conan's my guy. It might not be your guy, but Conan is my guy. Fine. Yeah. Jeez. Nobody? Yeah, I can't think of anybody? No. Hey, um, man, that's, a, that's a solid one, because you've done, you've done plenty. Yeah, like I... What do I gain out of interviewing people? Like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm touching the hem of their garment. People would tell me today, you gain experience. But I'm like, no, not really. Like, you're just talking. I get experience, I get experience riding a bus. <laughs> that gives me more experience and in, 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 you know, views about life than talking to some pampered celebrity. Man, sometimes they have worldly advice, right? So Celebrities? No, no, just <laughs> no. Random, no, random people. So oh, random like, people do. Celebrities they, they, they've yeah. lived life. Yeah. They can tell you stuff. These people yeah. who've been pampered, they can't tell you shit. Yeah. Celebrities just make me feel, I, to make it sound corny, but celebrities just make me feel like, hey, I watched you growing up and now I get to talk to you and I'm from Newfoundland. And like, I know that kind of sounds shitty because it's like, well, I, you're selling yourself short. I'm like, no, but it's nice to feel like, hey, I sat down with uh, Tim Allen or I've done this. And I'm like, it's a feather in my cap. You know who I was thinking about? You know who I would really like to have met? Howard Stern. That's, yeah, that's a good one. Because... Uh, he and I have, uh, there's a lot of things he says, which, um, are very much, uh, similar to me. We have, uh, similarities that I won't even go into, but I respect a guy who took on the FCC and did his thing and created represent representation for people, uh, in ways that the, the polite society didn't like. He broke, he broke down doors. Then he evolved 
into the person he is now, who's a great celebrity interviewer, has a very different point of view on things, but is still funny and edgy. He's a guy who's really evolved as a public figure. So, I mean, I'd love to talk to him, but, uh, you know, that, 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 uh, he never leaves his house, so that won't happen. Yeah. It's funny that you mentioned Howard because I remember when we were in um, Algonquin for like broadcasting, they showed us like his kind of, it's, I guess it was a movie on his career. Oh, and, private uh, parts. Yeah. And they like, they showed you like how, I don't remember all of it to be honest, but like, I guess there was one time he was in Detroit. They wanted to be like a country radio and he was like, not about it. And then his idol didn't like him at all. Told him to go fuck himself. And then I remember watching that and being like very like motivated to be like, okay, just because no one really gets you or likes you doesn't mean you can't make it. And then when I went to our program director and I was like, what about if I did this show? He's like, yeah, well, you're not doing that. I'm like, what the fuck did we just watch this guy's video for? that more or less challenged the system. And you're basically being like, yeah, we wouldn't do anything like that today. I'm like, well, why the fuck did you just show 20 odd students that this guy did? And now you know, you're like, nah, don't do yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, the truth is that most of the people who are gatekeepers these days really shouldn't be gatekeepers. They're inexperienced or they're MBAs and uh, like business people. And they don't understand that like business people want to minimize risk. That's their thing. But in creative industries, if you want to succeed, you got to take calculated risks. Um, so I've talked to a lot of people who are the ones who, who give the green light or not. And my thought is, who the fuck are you? Wh what qualifies you to make these decisions for, for an entire network, for an entire country to see? Like, give, I, I, give me something in my conversation with you that lets me think, okay, there's a reason you're making decisions. And I, I, I very, very rarely... I get that feeling. Do you think I should be making decisions? Yeah, fine. Okay, thanks, man. Is there any last words that you have for people like out there that could be in broadcasting or journalism and or even just a YouTube channel, something inspirational for them? Or is it more or less just like, go fuck yourself, I want it all? <laughs> no, I would say that anybody who, who wants to uh, be a, a, a performer, so to speak, you know, a broadcaster or on YouTube, my, my thought to you is this, do it for fun. Don't try to make it uh, a paying uh, career. Do it for fun. Find something else. Find the second thing that you most like to do in life and pursue that. And then keep this stuff, uh, something that is very special to you, a creative outlet for you, something that doesn't get ruined by uh, trying so hard to get into a business that is hard to do, trying so hard to attract an audience online, which is hard to do. Uh, you just get heartbreak that way. Don't do that. Continue to enjoy and embrace your creative side by not trying to, to make a fortune at it because it's very hard to do. Uh, do the other thing and make this the thing that uh, gives, your, you know, gives your life wings. I like that. That's solid. I, I feel like I've already failed at that, but I'm, I'm doing my best. Oh. That's going to do it for this episode of Tobin Tonight. Our thanks to Ed the Sock for coming on to the show. Remember, you can find past, present, and future episodes on TobinTonight.com, Spotify, and iTunes. Follow us on Twitter, like us on Facebook, and leave a comment or two. For Tobin and myself, this is Jacob saying thank you for listening, and good night. Hey listeners, I'm Christy. And I'm Melissa. And this is Buried Motives, where we dig deep into the details of some of the most gruesome dirtbag murderers. 
She said she enjoyed hurting things that can't fight back. And that is a disturbing view into the mind of a murderer in such a dirtbag. Yeah, that's not even strong enough words. This is totally a recipe for disaster and not to justify whatever is going to happen, but you can totally understand and see how this would be in the works. If you were only to look at what she did later on and not know any of that history, she would appear like off the wall crazy. Oh, 100% because we're not even close to getting to the end yet. But you can just see this pattern and all this kind of stuff developing in her, which is what we're here for. We're digging deep. Join us each Thursday as we unearth the dirt bags that live among us and the motives buried there. Hope you join us as we exhume the truth. I'm Matt Cundell, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent, Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com. Another Sound Off Media Company podcast.